When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Over the past few months, businesses, especially small businesses, have faced a lot of proverbial lemons, but the power of pivoting has become clearer than ever. We're here to share stories from PayPal merchants who have pivoted their businesses during COVID-19, innovating their way through uncertain and strenuous times. Welcome to The Adaptables. Welcome back, lovely listeners. As you know, I'm your host, Sarah Davidson, and I'm delighted to have Kaval Datani from MoBros joining me today from the UK. Starting as a friendly sibling rivalry in 2014, brothers Kunal, Savan and Kaval decided to compete and grow beards to raise money for charity. However, it wasn't long before all three brothers were facing different problems with their beards. From unruly growth to terrible beard itch, there was a clear lack of solutions on the market, which led to the birth of MoBros, a men's grooming retailer focused on beard care. Fast forward to today, MoBros has sold more than 500,000 grooming products, helping bearded bros solve their bearded problems in over 78 countries around the world. We're joined today by bearded bro Kaval Datani, and I'll let him tell you the rest himself. Kaval, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sarah. I feel like this is so reassuring to any parent listening that sibling rivalries can actually turn out to be something productive later down the track. <laughs> Absolutely. It was one of my parents' nightmares is that all three of your brothers are really qualified. You know, one of you is an accountant, one of you is a commercial electrician, and one of you is a trainee lawyer. And surely you can't be going into this industry. <laughs> well, I think you guys have well and truly proved them wrong with your incredible success since then. But of course, that's easier to say with hindsight. And I I'm sure it was a bit harder to convince them back then, which takes us to our icebreaker. We kick off every episode by asking, back then at the beginning, what was the biggest assumption you had about going into business that got busted as soon as you started? And given that you all started in such different industries, I imagine you had quite a few preconceptions about what it would be like. It's never, it's always more green when you're thinking about a venture. You know, it seems to happen really fast. And I think in reality, it takes longer and you're going to make mistakes along the way and it's okay to make them um, I think as long as you learn from those mistakes uh, it's the most crucial thing. Yeah that's so true I think we all do expect it to be really smooth sailing we're going to be sleeping in and working on our own time and it doesn't quite turn out that way but that's the fun of it right? Definitely we've, we've had <laughs> so much fun and I think it's so important to find something you're passionate about it's not every day that you get to work with your brothers it comes down to our backstory really you know when we grew up when my parents came to the UK we didn't really come with a lot so we've never had monetary value but what we've always had is an appetite and one thing mum's always said to us is that look after your relationship as brothers and everything else will follow so it was Mm. it's pretty amazing that I can tell the story every single day uh, and work never feels like work. Oh, that is so lovely. And particularly when you're in business with people that you love, it can be such a rewarding adventure. And I think adventure is a really good word to describe business because you do give up that idea of a five or a 10 year plan or too much stability or certainty about the future. And that's what's given a lot of business owners a bit of a head start on everyone else in preparing for times that are as uncertain as this year has turned out to be. But of course, I don't think any of us could have fully prepared for how crazy and uncertain 2020 would turn out to be. So it probably makes sense to start with how you guys have had to adapt to this year. 
Many businesses have had to re-strategize. Some have completely shut down. I know you guys have had to make a lot of changes in adapting to the new conditions. And you had a physical store as well. You know, a lot of places have had to change their offering completely. So what have been your biggest challenges or pain points during the pandemic? We, we had a number of pain points, really. So we had supply chain issues where we were unable to secure inventory, fulfilling inventory. So overseas, you know, logistical issues where items weren't getting delivered or there were some countries that weren't taking stock inbound. Expenses management was, you know, the overheads were, were still coming in as usual. And mm. we had a drop in retail orders uh, from the high street with supplies to airlines and the duty-free industry to cruise liners. Oh, we had no God. orders uh, whatsoever. Uh, from them um, other challenges including like working from home you know remote working so that was a whole whole new issue uh, social distancing uh, when everyone came back into the office and I guess uncertainty with the landscape and what mm. you know the rest of the year looks like because you know it's been disrupted and you know all of these uh, are problems that you know we face day to day in business you know there's always a challenge and and that's a part of being an entrepreneur you know you you get used to jumping the hurdles and the hurdles sometimes get bigger but that's all right because you get used to jumping them and you know we, we have disruption to our manufacturing we we always have and i think this is something we do in threes it might be the power <laughs> of three years with three brothers but we've we've always had plan a b and c so it's good to have a contingency plan and we did get through it we're still here we're stronger than we ever have been we're still smiling and you know that's the most important thing and we still love what we're doing it is amazing to hear how you've been able to navigate complete closures on some fronts and huge manufacturing issues and not just survive it, but to actually thrive. I think you increased your volume by like 500% at one point in a global pandemic, which is amazing. One of the big questions I'm always fascinated to ask is how you went from that panic mode, that sort of initial freak out, to taking action and being proactive. I think it takes entrepreneurs maybe less time than it does the average person because we're a bit more used to it, but you still have to, you know, instigate plan B and then plan C. I mean, I'm actually quite impressed that you even had a plan B or C because part of my strategy as an entrepreneur has been to have no plan, <laughs> which will probably now change. But yeah, how did you navigate those very early days and activate those plans, never actually thinking that you'd need them? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And I think it's really important to understand human psychology. You know, mm. at the end of the day, we're all human. We're all going to have emotional ties with what's going around us. You know, like I said, that as entrepreneurs, one thing we get very good at as we get more successful is, is solving meaningful problems. And everything I see is a challenge. You know, I every every issue we had, we sat down and tried to disconnect from the emotional interaction because that's you really need to make decisions based on what the actual circumstances are and i guess where a lot of people got caught up is that we have our five-year plans we have our annual plans and you know we, we're working backwards from them and trying to make micro steps but all of that was wide mm. so we had to step out of the business and actually we did this not on site so we we met remotely and we looked at it from top level to think that let's look at all the cogs that are moving within our business which one of them need to stay moving which ones have stopped moving and which ones will not move for some time without making a rash decision obviously emotionally you know we were all feeling the pain and it was difficult because we we really didn't know what was happening to our livelihoods. The most important thing, I guess, is it aligned to 
as a global pandemic so it wasn't localized no everyone was going through the same sort of challenges mm. and for us we just sat back we thought well, let's take some time let's see what unfolds in a couple of weeks and it was literally taking every day with its challenges and making adaptations to to that as the days went on you know you can't have a solution overnight and it can't be effective so it was trying to carry on as normal as possible in the given circumstances that's such great advice. Let yourself feel the emotional blowback of something like this, but then you need to put it aside and put your business hat back on. A quote that I think is really helpful in situations like this is never make permanent decisions based on temporary feelings because you could be really driven by sheer panic, but that panic will inevitably fade, whereas your business won't fade. So I think you do need to step out every now and then and take that bird's eye view of your business because we don't do that very often. And it's really, really difficult. You know, you become tunnel vision so you stop seeing everything around mm. you so when you step out of your business you're able to see it in different ways um one of the best things that i had was i i over the last couple of years made myself accountable not only to myself but to accountability partners so there was non-competitive business leaders that i can just pick up the phone to and it's a simple conversation of what are you going through what you're feeling and when you start understanding that that problem is reoccurring and you're not the only one facing it. It makes you feel a little bit more at ease because it's it's a challenge that you know you, you're all going to face together, and you're all come. You're always contemplating with your thoughts when you know you've got that level of accountability to just reinforce those decisions. Yeah, totally. So take us through how you actually implemented Plan B and C. What did they bring to fruition? I mean, you guys have expanded exponentially in all directions. I think you've even used 3D printing and equipment to create PPE for the NHS. Tell us how that all happened. Well, I guess there was a combination of things that happened to us. You know, when we hit lockdown here in the UK, all the barbershops closed and as a grooming brand, we had something what we called the rise of the lockdown beard. Um, <laughs> so guys were ticking those boxes, which is fantastic. So thinking that actually I, I normally would never get the chance to grow a beard like this. So I'm going to grow the best beard ever. And of course, as Mobros, what we do is support, you know, those bros out there that choose to do that. So we had a fantastic <laughs> uplift and if hundred percent, we sold six months worth of inventory in a oh single month, you know, and we thought we, we planned quite well, you know, a six month buffer is, is normally more than adequate. The, the challenge we faced was that how do we get more stock? How do we get this turned around with only 25% of the capacity mm. during COVID? One of our suppliers actually ceased trading. Um, and this supplier, you know, we'd been using for three years. We had a long-term relationship with. And our second supplier, which was the Plan B, decided that they would entertain only their the bigger customers, and also had a price hike of thirty percent and and stopped trading. So even if we resumed to to manufacture with those, we would have never have made the lead time. So we started from bottom up. You know, we built everything down from the grassroots upwards. So every pain point that you, you hit uh, as you're growing a business, we understood that. So luckily, um, using my electrical background from the early days, I made some Frankenstein-looking equipment. You know, <laughs> if you look at it, you'd think, no way is this going to work. You know, And there's, there's three guys there making potions and mixing things. And, <laughs> you know, one thing it gave was the experience to us guys to, to actually learn how to manufacture, to how, how to follow... ISO standards, how to go by good manufacturing practice. So 
So the plan C was that we we now have, I'd like to say, is, is a, a compliant facility, uh, which which normally sits just for sampling when we we're making new products. But actually, we were able to manufacture in house. We we can make eight thousand units a day, and we we changed and we you know we started we continued selling, which was in in the pandemic. To see an increase like that is just such a wonderful story to have. And you know, we've always believed in giving back. You know, we. At the end of the day, you know, the business was was started just for charity. It was three brothers, you know, growing a beard to contribute for Movember, just just a just a good cause. So that's something that's really ingrained in us from day one. We've always believed, um, you know, that we were co- we're a company born with a soul rather than, you know, a company that realizes that they get to a certain stage and oh, we need to build in some corporate social responsibility. Mm. And that's what led us to being pulled in for a national campaign where business leaders got together. And this is what can we do? We know we've got a national shortage of personal protective equipment. Is there anything that we can do? So I went head first and said, yes, I'll do it. You know, I got approached by uh, Martin Wrigley and he said, look, we're running this program. Would you guys like to get involved? And together we, we raised 100,000 bits of PPE, which went directly into our hospitals. Amazing. We were serving local care homes who didn't have the help that, that they needed. So, and then we also looked at equipment that we had in-house. So, you know, we, we had laser cutting machines, we had acetate, we had fabric. So we thought, well, what, what else can we do with this? So we started making visors and handing, out, handing them out to the ambulance services. We, we found that repeated sanitizer users used by the hospital staff was giving them really sore hands. So we, we adapted one of our formulations and made a hand cream, which we were giving out. So we were able to give back. And, you know, I always believe when you do that, you always get twice as much back in other ways. Yeah, that's a wonderful philosophy. And I think this time has also forced us all to make changes that prove that you can execute huge ideas and massive pivots, even to the point of completely internalizing manufacturing. I mean, that's a drastic change that could normally take years to prepare for. It's shown that you can get things done in a really short amount of time if you just put your mind to it. Whereas usually I think we get very bogged down in over planning and overthinking, but you know, you just have to do what you can with what you have, where you are, and together we can really make a huge difference. But the other thing is, at some point, you've got to take your very first step. And I know you implemented Plan B and then Plan C and have obviously achieved some incredible things, but breaking it down to just, you know, even just the very first small things you did to tide yourself over while you thought about implementing Plan B and C – what were those very first small steps to just ease, you know, the expense management or to just investigate what to do about the supply chain issues before you even got to plan B? I think a lot of businesses might be in that earlier position now where they're just starting to think about how to just cope. So what are some of the smaller steps you took in those very early days? So so, so going back, expenses was a real challenge and i think it's really important to bootstrap your expenses so we downloaded bank statements and we looked at our outgoings we looked at what do we need as a business what can we not have and it's really important i guess is to be as lean as possible mm. you know if there's any unnecessary expenses that you know businesses are carrying subscriptions or anything you didn't need you know now's the time to sort of like re them and and actually visit how much value add they or how current or how applicable they are to your business at the given time. So that's one of the biggest changes we made. 
And in terms of supply chain management, you know, it's crucial for any business to make sure that, you know, operations run as smoothly as possible. You know, whether you're starting up or you're a mature business, you know, Mobro's had issues where we couldn't get hold of bottles that we used to fill for beard oil. And that's because they were being sold out for uh, sanitizer bottles, which is understandable. That's for a company that already has a forecast in place. So we've already got relationships with suppliers that we were dealing with that all of a sudden couldn't deal with us anymore. And I guess this is where plan Bs and Cs come into play is that, you know, we made new relationships. So we're proactive about picking up the phone, thinking what's the next best available product? What's the next closest solution? Is there the same solution out there? Can we get exactly what we do stock at the moment? And it's going back to the marketplace. And when, when you've got your plan Bs and Cs behind you and looking at your counter plans and think that if one fails, it doesn't leave you in that emotional state where you're panicking. It's really easy to avoid if you just take the time to just prepare. So we got presented with a number of problems. And um, for example, grooming scissors. And that's during the rise of the lockdown bid and people growing their hair and, you know, giving themselves really dodgy haircuts, you know, grooming scissors <laughs> uh, upon the rise. And we sold about, sold about all of our stock. So even though we pride uh, ourselves on capitalizing on brand Britain and being British, we actually had to look at, well, is there an alternative supplier because there's no one in England that could, that could help us at that time. Other partners overseas who specialize in metals, and it turns out that you know the Middle East was really good at that. So we had, were able to get the raw materials imported ourselves. Again, it was just an adaptation, and we were able to get the finishing done here in the UK, which you know stayed in line with our values, and we were able to overcome that hurdle. So to keep providing a solution for for our customers. Yeah, I think that's a great reminder that at no stage in business are you ever above a Google or a cold call. Like most of the time when we need something new, you just get on the phone and you just call around for your options. Like most of us don't have in our contacts list every manufacturer that makes your exact product. You just research. So I love that it's just baby steps and then they'll lead you on from there. I completely agree. Google is my best friend and the whole blueprint of everything you need is already digital it's already present you've got articles that have been made available by marketplaces you know i mean i've i read some blogs that by paypal which uh fantastic you know and there's so much information out there um and it's just just really looking into that and making the most of it you know you're only a google away shall i say such a good one I really used to think that people just made up the entrepreneurial story of getting on Google and finding the answer. I was like, you're just romanticizing that because it sounds good. But that's exactly how almost everyone I know in business started and continues to grow their business. And there's there's key learnings, you know, through everything I've learned, uh, I guess, to summarize, you know, what, um, what I've learned during lockdown. And if it was to give anyone listening some tips was, the emphasis on simplicity. I'm a firm believer that um, prolific beats perfect. So just get it done, you know, rather than there's no level of perfection. You know, everyone's perception of perfection is different as well. So you're never going to achieve that. And remember the value that you offer is always much higher than what you think. And it might be just a small group of people, but that's okay because that's your group of people. Oh, yes. Prolific beats perfect. I'm writing that down. (laughs) But another thing that happens when you do stay committed to solving meaningful problems is that you actually have to communicate that to your staff, to your key stakeholders, to your customers. It's one thing to make all these things available, but if you can't tell the people who are invested in you 
it's very difficult to actually get the message out there. So I know that PayPal has shared your story to its newsletter, I think, to 10 million subscribers and that your own email database has grown from that. And that's been a huge way for you to keep a communication channel open. Can you talk to us a bit about how you've used technology and digital in implementing these big pivots and what advice you would have to other business owners who do find, you know, new technology a little bit daunting or maybe even overwhelming? How pivotal has it been to you in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, so there's, there's a, it's a really great question. And I think it's important to understand the natural shift. I always believed that 2020s were always going to be the beginning of the digital revolution. Mm. You know, you've got people like my mum who have never shopped online. And during COVID, she was ordering her food shops and she was thinking, why haven't I done this? It's fantastic. You know, I'm going to order all my food shopping online now. And, <laughs> and this is someone who didn't grow with technology. I can understand for anyone listening that it can be daunting, you know, going into a new space. And, but that's where the biggest wins are. The biggest lessons I've learned over the last five years of business, six, well, seven years, are actually putting yourself into the deep end first. You know, we always, as humans, fear something that we don't know or not familiar with. And I guess that's down to our human makeup, you know, we have something what we call the monkey brain. It keeps you wanting to stay within um, doing tasks and activities that you're actually familiar with. But there's no real reward there. So, you know, sometimes you have to push and look at technology that's, that's working and looking at new ways. You know, we've seen some amazing companies historically that they've dominated the industry. You know, some bigger corporates here in the United Kingdom and Europe, they felt they were so strong that they didn't need to change. And all of the companies that are no longer with us um, are the companies that decided that they didn't want to pivot, they didn't want to take the next steps forward. They're almost complacent, you know, and complacent is as good as walking backwards in some cases. So mm. it's normal to be overwhelmed if you take too much on. One thing we find is that it's making baby steps, you know, oh. figuring out where you want to go, breaking it down. And actually, when you look at it, it's you never realize actually how well you've done and how far you've gone until you've looked at all the little steps and it's always the small steps that lead to quantum leaps I'm a firm believer in that oh me too I think we do by default have this inbuilt sense of instant gratuity like oh, I've moved into business I want it to be a million dollar business now I want to be in 78 countries right now but you guys didn't start like that nobody started like that all of the emerging groundbreaking businesses had to start from zero and that's what allows you to become a good business because you're learning at each step. If you just fast forwarded it to the end, you wouldn't have made the mistakes that you talked about in the beginning that have taught you what you needed to know to get to where you are. So let's go back to the very start and remind people of the small steps that you took at each stage and how you got from zero to here, because you certainly didn't wake up with the business that you have now. And I love that it came from the experience of just three brothers having a bit of fun together and that it's led to you being able to leave your existing jobs. Did you start the business with the online focus it has now or did you start with the shop front? How did you build your platforms? How did you choose all your infrastructure as well? And what things do you think have been really important to your growth? Well, I think it's really important to understand the ease of penetration. I, I mentioned that, you know, as entrepreneurs, you know, we, we see shiny objects and want to chase them all the time, you know, and, and I always relate it down to climbing a mountain. You know, you're, when you're climbing this mountain at as an entrepreneur, all you're looking at is the top. So that's your goal. You've climbed and climbed and climbed, and actually it's taken you longer than what you'd expected, but you know, you've carried on climbing. And when you get to the top, you rarely look down and reflect on what you've just climbed. 
you see the mountain in front of you that's bigger than the one you're standing on and you want to climb that. And I think in terms of our story, yeah, we, we started at home, you know, from my daughter's bedroom, you know, when I went into <laughs> 750 pounds overdraft, you know, to be able to get all the ingredients together once we realized that we might have had something. When we first, you know, had the, the issues that you uh, spoke about earlier, you know, we had three aliases born out of that, which was unruly, patchy and scratchy. <laughs> Amazing. Really Kunal had a terrible beard itch and Savan had a really thin and patchy beard. And rather it being, you know, thinking, oh, it's going to be a business, it was you know can we just share the solution you know it's just sharing your wins you know and that's what what the best people do I think absolutely so we looked at marketplaces and one of the first marketplaces was eBay um this is I guess where our journey with PayPal began you know it PayPal was you know was bolted onto eBay and eBay became one of our largest marketplaces and the most important thing I guess for customers that are shopping online was that they wanted the confidence to be able to purchase knowing that they're going to get what they're buying and PayPal was able to do that for us so you know it takes away all the anxieties that people have Mm. and you know I guess this is where we had the help you know they're already known liked and trusted in the industry and very quickly it became one of our biggest payment providers Um, and we found it was the way the, the market actually preferred you know there was a natural demand for a solution where both the seller and the customer were protected. Yeah, I think one of the important things to remind people earlier on in their journey is that there are so many wonderful existing platforms like PayPal that allow you to just jump straight to customer trust in an environment where you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You can leverage the reputation and infrastructure of these bigger businesses who are there to support new businesses to the market. And it's not just getting your store set up, but they actually have options for you to continue to grow. So there's working capital as you start to get bigger. There's the global sellers program. It's not just a transactional platform. There's actually support that gets bolted on as you grow. So what are some of the other features that you think have been really important to your growth? Uh, Where we really benefited over the years was um, from the global sellers program. And if anyone's not heard about it, it's where you can actually take your products and have them translated, have a shipping service where you ship into a local hub. So for example, here in the UK, we we ship to a hub, uh, a PayPal hub on an e-commerce front, the currency, the checkout, everything that gets translated. And you can you can get that set up within 15 minutes if you've already got an e-commerce presence, which which is fantastic because we're not working and we're not selling in a localized marketplace anymore. Mm. It's easy for entrepreneurs to overlook the actual demand. You know, we've sold to 78 countries, and that's happened from being able to, you know, take advantage of things like the Global Sellers Program. You know, we've got now a PayPal checkout. Again, if customers have got anxieties, they're landing on your site, they've never seen or heard about you before, and they come onto your brand and they think, oh, it looks fantastic, but I don't really trust them. Well, as soon as customers see the PayPal logo, it's one click, all the details are saved, they know it's going to be safe. I think it's been a no-brainer. It still remains one of our largest payment providers, and that's across everything. And even for new uh, new products that we're launching. So Merrow's over the last seven years has done tremendously well. But one real big flaw that we've had is we've been transactional as a business. So we're currently looking into... Uh, module uh, for subscriptions through PayPal uh, you know and it helps you manage scheduled payments and it helps you to 
again, scale your business where it becomes a lot more investable. You know, your campaigns become a lot more streamlined. And again, you're able to do that through, through a payment provider that's already built the technology for you. So you're saving on developer costs, you're saving on integration because the work there has been done for you. And I guess what I like is PayPal are seeing SMEs as a part of their tribe. Yeah. You know, and that's how I feel. We have a tribe for Mobros, you know, and we are a community-led brand. But I feel that should I need the help, it's always there for me. I think the best thing for you as well is that demand is clearly not a problem. So it would be the greatest shame if you couldn't meet that demand simply because there were barriers to selling globally. So I love that something like the PayPal Global Sellers Program is able to remove those barriers for you so you could go global just straight away. It's a no-brainer. But you did also mention that there are a few things that you've been looking at that haven't worked so well. So what are some of the things, now that you've had a bit of a bird's eye view moment, what do you think you'll keep in the business and what do you think you might leave behind? So I see COVID and the disruption as a time for entrepreneurs to reset and almost reinvent. You know, when, when I mentioned earlier, we looked at the cogs that were moving within within our business you know there were a few cogs that were rusty and you know we had to remove you know it was things that we were doing that weren't actually working you know we'd not even identified it so covid presents the opportunity of us looking at the business in a different way we had uncertainty with their marketing um, and saying our budgets we didn't know actually should we be scaling our marketing or should we be reducing our marketing and one thing we did is we found a lot of our competitors all stopped and when we were bidding for uh, traffic, we were spending more, we were converting more. And actually, our customers were listening. So unlike before, you had a real key time to deliver a message and almost nurture your tribe. You know, at the end of the day, your customers, I like to treat them almost like our friends, an extension of yourself and the values that you believe in. Mm. So yes, there, there, were, there were projects that we were doing that we, it was wasted time. At the end of the day, you, you have a fixed amount of hours in any given day. So I think it's using that wisely. And one of the big, biggest things we did was we reached out to all of our top 10% customers. And for me, the CEO, you know, I gave a personal email beyond being a transactional product. You know, we want you to feel like there's a sense of belonging. And, and I guess that's, that's the biggest thing is just to reinforce all the ties and all the strengths. You know, it is a marathon. It's not a sprint, you know, and we need to, paddle harder than we ever have before, you know, and, and keep surfing those waves. That is excellent advice and a lovely reminder of a quote that I love from Maya Angelou. People will never remember what you did or what you said. They will always remember how you made them feel. And I think we agonize over the copy in our emails or the captions on our products or the labels and everything. And that's important. Getting a good product that delivers is important. But the feeling of community is what people come back to. And I love that you've put so much emphasis on connecting with your tribe because that's why they keep coming back to you guys. That's where you've built the loyalty and the community and has it's given you the staying power that you have. So thank you so, so much for sharing your wisdom and your story. You're very welcome. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. And, of course, before we go, where can we find MoBros? So you can find MoBros on www.mobros.co.uk. It is the home of beard growers all around the world. So come check us out. You know, we promise you, you know, you'll be leaving a lot hairier than what you first came in as. Uh, but you can also find us at uh, Duke Free Airlines. So next time you're, you're traveling, have a look out for us on the catalog. We're available in, in most 
popular high street retailers. Um, and, you know, feel free to drop us a message. You know, the Mobros are all about community. So we'd love to hear from you. Amazing. Well, guys, make sure you check out Mobros. There is so much packed into this episode. I've taken so much away myself. I hope you guys have too. And I thought again, like we did in the last couple of episodes, I just run through a couple of the things that really stood out to me. I think the first practical tip to take away is to always encourage yourself to take steps. As Kaval said, baby steps add up to quantum change. I think we spend a lot of time focusing on how we can make dramatic changes all at once, but they actually happen in smaller steps. So just break it down. Another really practical one that often gets skated over is to reassess your expenses. I think so often we focus on how can I bring in more income, but another way to actually survive the situation financially is not just to bring in more, but to let less go out. And I think we often take a lot of expenses for granted and just don't go back to review what's actually necessary. So I think I will definitely be going back to the drawing board after having listened to this one. The third one is another thing I probably need to work on. Try to disconnect from the emotional reaction. Of course, we're all going to have an emotional reaction and you do need to give yourself time to move through that. But when you're making business decisions, try and take the heat out of it. Because as we mentioned, you know, you often make permanent decisions based on temporary feelings, then the feelings fade and you're left with these decisions. And a really clever way to kind of circumvent those emotional decisions is to have a plan B and a plan C in place so that the thinking is taken out of it. And in the heat of the moment, you know what your next best strategy is. So I will definitely be drawing up a plan B and a plan C to be able to separate the emotions from the business decision making. The fourth one that I love is prolific beats perfect. As a default perfectionist, it's very difficult for me to let go of things. And I think a lot of us agonize over making things perfect, but often it holds you back from just releasing the content, just getting things done. And what you think is perfect, as Kaval said, is often not what your customers think is perfect anyway. I think that's such a catchy little reminder. And the final one is to nurture your tribe. Get to know your customer very well. Because we do get stuck working in the business and not on the business, it becomes very easy to forget about talking to your customer. What suited them last year might no longer suit them. So you have to keep that open channel of communication and make sure you continue to nurture them through whatever phase they're going through. And I love that Mobros has used this time to reopen those channels and get really deep into the conversation again, because we do forget that when we get really busy and actually just making the business operate. But what's the point if you're not meeting your customers' needs? So they're just five of the many, many pearls of wisdom that I hope you all were able to take out of this one. Make sure you tune in next time to join PayPal and myself for another round of The Adaptables.